Thanks, Todd. Um, yeah, like, so Todd said, we're in a series on simplicity. And uh, we're going to be uh, continuing that thought by thinking about what it means to incorporate rest as a rhythm of simplicity. So we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11, and Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 to 15. If you've got your own Bible or, or device you want to pull it up on, you can. I'm also going to read, and uh, you can hear, and um, you can uh, listen to God's word. I'm going to pray. Todd just prayed. I'm going to pray again. Why? Because it's just my comfort zone, and that's what I do. So I'm going to do it anyway. Um, but uh, we're going to read God's word. We're going to ask him to speak. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to minister to us, and uh, we'll see what he has to say. So we'll start here in, uh, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Here uh, is what God says to his people, Israel, in his invitation to Sabbath. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And then in Deuteronomy verses 5, 12 to 15, a parallel passage, but with some important differences that we're going to unpack. He says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. That's God's word for us this morning, written by a human author with their own style, language, cultural context to a particular point in the history of God's people, but inspired by the Holy Spirit, and every time we open up God's word, he has something to say to us. So let's pray. Let's intentionally invite the Spirit to speak to us right now. So would you guys pray with me? Oh, Lord, we, uh, we do invite you to speak. And thank you that your word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and uh, you reveal what's really going on in our hearts, and you bring us to our Savior who gives us grace upon grace upon grace. And so we pray, God, would you... Um, would you draw us in to deal honestly with ourselves and the way that we relate to you and to ourselves and to the world around us and to see you, our gracious Savior, who invites us to come that we might find rest for our souls. So we pray for that, Lord. Uh, we pray that you give us not just information in our heads, but transformation in our hearts, that we become the kind of women and men that you always made us to be. Thank you that that's all possible by your grace and in your Holy Spirit. And so right now, um, let's just each of us in the quiet of our own minds, whatever words make sense, just take a deep breath and um, ask God to speak. Maybe it's just as simple as saying, God, would you speak to me right now? God, we love you. We thank you for that sweet sound of kids worshiping next door. And uh, thank you that you invite us to come to you as your kids, full of uh, dependent trust. So we pray, come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, uh, why don't you take a look at the back there? There's a plant. Anyone know what kind of plant that is? Mandavia. Someone knew it. It's great. I was going to bring it to the front, but then I forgot. And so great. Object lesson ruined. No, we can all see it. It's right back there. That is a mandavia. Mandavia. So here's the thing. We, I brought that from our, our back patio. We've been growing that little mandavia for a couple months now. Uh, mandavia is a vine plant. And it's from uh, Central America, South America. It, uh, it, it produces these beautiful flowers you can see there. They're like this trumpet shape. Uh, they're uh, white, and they're, they, when they come in full bloom, they're really beautiful. Uh, vine plants are these really interesting kind of plant. Mandavia is one of them. Uh, and you can notice it even seeing back there that it grows uh, really fast. Vines tend to grow faster than other kinds of plants, like a tree that, uh, where it, what it's growing is wood to support the structure of the plant. But vines, on the other hand, grow very quickly, but they don't grow the structures to actually be able to support themselves. Instead, what they do is they latch on, they twist around to something, uh, to something uh, stronger than themselves, something, an, some sort of anchoring structure uh, in the wild as a tree or a rock or something like that. Uh, in uh, the, a garden, you can see here we, we've got this trellis, a little pole that's just sitting in the pot, and the vine wraps itself around that trellis, around that pole, in order to be able to support itself. And to the degree that it has the right conditions, and, of course, it's not from California. You need to create a mandavia-friendly environment in order for the mandavia to grow. And so you need to water it more than it would naturally get water here in Southern California. It's used to tropical rainforest, except for this weekend. We're not a tropical rainforest. And so uh, we need to water it more than it would get. And then you also need to provide that structure, that trellis, in order for it to be able to grow, in order for the full uh, expression of its growth to come forth for it to produce the flowers that it produces. And we're in this series on, uh, on simplicity. And what we're saying about simplicity is we're kind of, we're from scripture, we're using the words of Joshua Becker, who uh, Bill introduced us to during our first week of this series, who defines simplicity like this. It's the intentional promotion of the things we value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. And of course, for followers of Jesus, it's not just about what we value. It's as we, in the power of the Holy Spirit, come to follow Jesus, it's we're intentionally promoting the things that are close to Jesus's heart as we become more of our true selves in him. And so it's the intentional promotion of the things that Jesus values, living them out as ourselves, and the removal of everything that distracts us from those things. There's this beautiful, sweet spot of life with following Jesus that we call simplicity. It's focused. It's unhurried, it's non-anxious. And that's the kind of life that we're learning to live into as we intentionally build that into our lives. But simplicity, like everything else that God wants to do in us as we follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, is grown in us not because we just white-knuckle it and will it. The person growing the mandavia, this little sweet little mandavia bush of ours, we don't, it doesn't grow as a mandavia because we try really hard to make it grow. It grows because it's a mandavia, and that's what it does. If you provide it with the right conditions, it's going to grow. But you have to provide it with the right conditions. You have to anchor it with a trellis that it can wrap itself around in order for it to grow and become the beautiful little bush that we see over there. And so, as we come to simplicity, as we come specifically to our text here in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we're thinking about Sabbath, the question that we're bringing to the table is this. What is the trellis for simplicity? Or put another way, what are the habits and rhythms of life that support the intentional promotion of the things we value 
and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. Uh, what are the rhythms of life? What are the practices? What are the habits that support the simplicity that we see Jesus inviting us into in his kind of life? And the answer of the scriptures, not surprising based on how we set up this whole thing, the answer specifically of our text here in uh, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5 is that the rhythms of life that support simplicity are the rhythms of Sabbath. One of the key rhythms, at least, are the rhythms of Sabbath. We see in our passages that we're going to unpack here, which come from the two places in Scripture where the Ten Commandments are recorded for us, each with their own very special and specific nuance that helps us understand what God is inviting us into. When we see in these passages that uh, Sabbath anchors us in simplicity because we Sabbath as wisdom and we Sabbath as celebratory resistance. We Sabbath as wisdom and we Sabbath as celebratory resistance, which is how we're going to spend most of our time is looking at these two passages and how they show us that we Sabbath, we intentionally practice these rhythms of rest as wisdom and as celebratory resistance. But first we have to clarify, define even what we're talking about here because based on your background, how familiar you are with the narrative of scripture and experiences that you may have had with the idea up to this point, we might be bringing all kinds of ideas of what we're even talking about when I say the word Sabbath. Some of, some of us were thinking about uh, Old Testament practices of Sabbath. Some of you guys are thinking about like the Lord's Day, Sunday, and it's like the day you go to church and then you go to like some dive diner afterwards with your family. Some of you guys are like, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. So could you help me here? Yes, I will. Let's get into it. So before we even dive into Sabbath as wisdom and Sabbath as celebratory resistance, here's what we're talking about. Uh, in the first five books of scripture, called the Torah, um, there, uh, the Lord gives to Israel, so it's a specific time and place in God's redemptive plan, he gives to them a few anchoring practices for what we call Sabbath. Sabbath literally just means to stop or to pause or to rest. And so there's a couple of anchoring practices. There's the Sabbath day that we just read about. It's a literal 24-hour day uh, at the seventh day of the week for stopping and resting. There's the Sabbath year that's unpacked elsewhere in, uh, in the Torah, where uh, every seventh year, God's people were to let the land rest. So no agriculture for a whole year. Let all of your land rest. And in an agrarian economy, that was a really big deal. Every seventh year, basically take a sabbatical for the land, let the land rest. There was uh, what scripture calls the year of Jubilee. So every 49th year, seven times seven, there was a full economic, cultural, social reset. All debts were canceled. The land rested in full, no economic activity of any kind. Uh, any indentured servants or, or slaves were set free. Uh, anyone kept in poverty and unjust systems that's done with. So every 49th year, there's like a full economic, social, uh, cultural reset in the year of Jubilee. So there's these different practices that God's given. They're rhythms of rest and renewal for God's people. Here's the deal. Hebrews 4 tells us that all these practices of Sabbath rest, all these intentional rhythms of rest that God gives his people, they all anticipate a true spiritual rest that would be accomplished for us in Jesus. This is, I'm getting this from Hebrews chapter 4, which for the sake of time we're not going to do a deep dive into, but just take my word for it, or don't, read it on your own. Anyway, the point is, Jesus, the New Testament tells us, is our true and ultimate rest. And the New Testament models for us now that while we're not bound uh, 
to the letter of the law as a law of the specific rhythms that God gave his people. So the New Testament church, as it was working out what it looks like now to follow Jesus, we don't, we're not bound to keep the year of Jubilee, every 49th year, full economic cultural reset. And yet, there is profound wisdom in the way that God called his people to live at that time and that place and that period of redemptive history. So we're not bound to the letter of the law to do specifically what God required Israel to do because that was for anticipating what he would do in Jesus. We still look back on that and see the wisdom of what God was inviting his people to do. Wisdom of intentional rhythms of rest. And that can mean where there's freedom to work out what that is going to look like for different needs at different seasons of life, at different stages of life. There's different ways to incorporate it. I would really highly encourage you to consider incorporating a literal 24-hour day of rest uh, at the end of each week. Or it could mean an intentional, you might be thinking you need to focus on intentional rhythms of beginning, middle, and end to your day where you intentionally stop work. And it's not just that you stumble into stopping work, but you, you have some rhythm and some practice around stopping and entering into rest and leaving work behind. Or it might be uh, an intentional, worshipful way of doing vacation. And rather than just doing leisure and fun and, and whatever you're going to do for your vacation, you add some intentionality to it, some reflection to it, some uh, spiritual, worshipful rest to it. And maybe you can think of other examples of, of ways that you might incorporate intentional rhythms of rest wisely learning from what God required of his people in the Old Testament. But that all even begs the question, what does that even look like? And uh, it's really important for us to say that this is more than just a day off. We're talking more than just time off from work. In fact, the, the great pastor theologian Eugene Peterson called a mere day off a bastard Sabbath. Pardon the language, it's Eugene Peterson, not me. So send an email to him, although he's not with us anymore, so me and, well, you know, whatever. I don't know. It's not my words. Here's the point. It's more than mere rest. What Jesus is inviting us to in his kind of life, the wisdom that we see in God's people, Israel, is intentionality to our rest, worshipful intentionality to our rest. I love the framework that um, pastor, thinker named Pete Scazzaro, in his work on emotionally healthy discipleship, the framework that he, he provides for wise Sabbath rest, and it's this. Ready for it? Here it is. It's Sabbath rhythms are worshipfully stopping, resting, delighting, and contemplating. It's building in rhythms where we stop, we rest, we delight, and we contemplate. And so we're stopping. We're, we're putting work on pause. We're putting work-like obligations that maybe we don't get paid for, but they're still in the category of work, chores, uh, things we got to just do to sustain life, we put it on pause. We stop. We rest. We're actually entering in spiritually, emotionally into a place of restoration. We're delighting. We're enjoying God's creation, enjoying relationships. We're doing things that bring us joy. We're incorporating things that bring us joy. So maybe, and here's the thing, when we think about Sabbath, I think a lot, especially, at least in my exposure, a lot of people that talk about Sabbath tend to emphasize more introverted rhythms of rest. And to be sure, I think there's a good place for that. Personally, that's, I, I, tend to, I, I tend to get restoration uh, when I can withdraw a little bit. But for some of you, that's not how you receive rest and, and energizing. And so maybe, going, maybe rest for you, Sabbath for you, is going to a really awesome party. 
And that Sabbath, too, it's delighting. And it's contemplating. There's, there's spiritual intentionality to it. We have time to reflect upon life, to listen to God, to seek his face, to frame what we're doing in light of who we are in him. So it's stopping, resting, delighting, and contemplating. And that's going to look different in different seasons of life, right? So I think one, of, uh, one very uh, helpful thing when entering rest is to, is to go into it realistically within your season of life. Rest and Sabbath are going to look really different uh, for a, a, a single person than, than it is going to be for a young couple who is married but no kids, than it is going to be for a, a, a family with little kids, than it is for a family with teenagers, than it is going to be for empty nesters, and so on and so forth. In every season of life, it's going to look really different. And framing it realistically within what's possible within that season of life is, is really important, really helpful, really wise. And yet we're still invited to seek God for rest. We're still invited to incorporate those rhythms of rest. Before we jump into further diving into our passages, and we're going to get there in just a second, um, on your way out, we have a, a resource that we, we adopted from a church up in Portland called Bridgetown, where they provided just best practices for different seasons of life to incorporate rhythms of rest in your life. So you're kind of trying to wrap your mind around, what does this look like for me as an empty nester? What does this look like for me as a single person? What does this look like when I've got preschool-aged kids and I don't like rest does not think because I can't stop being a parent or my children will jump off of a bookcase and body slam their sibling and then we'll have to go to the hospital. Like whatever the case is, you're probably wondering, how do I incorporate this? It's, this, it's some very simple, but it's just a list of best practices, some ideas that you can to get your creative juices flowing for how to incorporate your, your, uh, in your season of life. Grab that on the way out as food for thought. All that said, this is what we're talking about. Different ways of incorporating rhythms of rest in our lives, Sabbath rhythms, and we do so. They're an anchoring practice for simplicity in our lives because we Sabbath as wisdom and we Sabbath as celebratory resistance. So let's get into it. The longest introduction known to humankind, but I promise we're going to move on. Okay, so first uh, we need to get our minds thinking about Sabbath as wisdom, and this is what Exodus chapter 20 invites us to consider because, as you'll have noticed, these are the two parallel passages of the fourth commandment and the Ten Commandments, each oriented around calling Israel to practice Sabbath rest. And they're different in the way that they ground why we're to rest. And in Exodus chapter 20, it says, 20 uh, verse 11, it says this, rest, practice Sabbath, verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what we're seeing is that in this version of the fourth commandment, God is grounding Israel's practice of Sabbath in the story of creation. God is showing us that there's something about rhythms of Sabbath rest, both the literal day of Sabbath and other rhythms of rest, that syncs up with the design of God's universe. Because it's hearkening back to the first creation account in Genesis, little Bible factoid. There's actually two creation accounts in Genesis. There's one that goes from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2-4, and there's one that goes from Genesis 2-5 through chapter 3. Little interesting Bible factoid that you weren't wondering, but now you know it. Um, in the first creation account, uh, in the seventh day in this framework of thinking about creation, God rests from his work of creation. And God doesn't rest because he needs a break. 
Right? God is unlimited in capacity, unlimited in power. God doesn't get tired. And so God isn't like getting through creation like, Oof, man, those like dolphins really took it out of me. I got I to gotta take a break now. The, the Himalayas, that was really something, you know. God is not resting because he needs to. God is resting as a model and a pattern for what his creatures are to do in his creation. He's finished with creation, and he's declaring over his design for creation that he's done creating because it's very good. In the Hebrew, it's tov tov. It's the word good two times for us to see it's very good. His design for creation is good, and God is blessing us and modeling what it's like to live in that creation Rhythms of work and rest are woven, so to speak, into the very fabric of God's created design. And wisdom, biblically speaking, is living in sync with that design. The Hebrew word for wisdom is the word chokmah. It, it literally means like skill or applied knowledge. And as I was doing sermon prep, I really wanted to do this deep dive on the word chokmah because I find it's really interesting. But none of you care, and I have the self-awareness to know that, so I didn't include any of it. But take my word for it. Chokmah means skill and applied knowledge. And specifically speaking, when we're talking about wisdom and we translate it as wisdom, we're talking about the skill of living well in God's world. That's one way to think about wisdom. It's the skill of living well in God's world. Or another way would be to say it's living in sync with God's design of the universe. And so this is important for us to say that when we see what that rhythm is, it's intentional and it's regular. It's not binge rest. Because I think a lot of our default in our cultural moment is to binge rest. We go hard in the paint and then we get exhausted and we unplug. Now, when you're exhausted, it is wise to unplug. And yet, what God's inviting us to is not go as far as you possibly go until you collapse and then collapse until you can't do it anymore. It's to build intentional rhythms of rest. And that is living in sync with the design of God's universe. Resting, intentional rest, is living in sync with God's design. It's the skill of living well in God's world in this particular facet. Here's an example of how this plays out in the real world, living in sync with God's design. This is um, from a, a resource called the Subversive Sabbath. A guy named A.J. Soboda wrote, wrote a book called The Subversive Sabbath, and in it, he uses this example. When you compare the lives of World War II veterans and veterans of the Vietnam War when they got back from their tours of duty, you see a completely different story. When World War II soldiers came back, uh, National abuse rates dropped, drug abuse rates dropped, um, all kinds of measures of happiness increased. People had tons of babies. They just came back and got busy. Like it was, and, and communities flourished as a result. When soldiers from the Vietnam War came back, it was a completely different picture. Uh, mental illness, particular depression and PTSD skyrocketed. skyrocketed. Uh, drug abuse, particular, particularly heroin, skyrocketed. Domestic abuse increased. National happiness levels declined. Uh, birth rates dropped. People came back from war and had fewer kids. Uh, totally different story. And so we're invited to see, well, what's the difference? And of course, it's a, there's complex cultural and socioeconomic factors. It's, we don't want to be overly simplistic. The economy obviously had a big, a, a big hand in, in how people experienced life. But one of the key differences is that when soldiers, because of 
the development of technology and transportation in particular, when soldiers came back from the Vietnam War, they got on a plane and they were back in their living room within three days. When soldiers came back from World War II, they got on a boat and they sat in the middle of the Atlantic or Pacific Ocean with the people that they had fought this war with and they sat there for two months before they were gone home. And they had nothing to do and nowhere to go except to be together, to commiserate, to tell stories, to cry, and to rest. And the story as a result was completely different. There's wisdom in living in light of the way that God's made the world and he invites us to live with intentional rest. And this is so important for us in our cultural moment because what we're invited to see about ourselves as created beings, not as, not as the creator, is that we are limited beings, intentionally limited. And I want you to hear me on this. Your limits, your need for sleep, your need for rest, your emotional capacity, your relational capacity, your strength and weakness mix, your natural disposition, that means that you can't be all things to all people. All of your capacity limits are not bugs that need to be reprogrammed, they're features to be embraced. Your limitedness is not an accident, and it's not a fault, and it's not a flaw, it's how God made you to be. God made you as an intentionally limited being, and it wouldn't be better if you were unlimited. We have this narrative that circles in our minds, it would be better if you could do more. Yeah, you gotta go to sleep tonight because you gotta wake up in the morning, but wouldn't it be better if you could life hack things so that you only needed four hours of sleep? Wouldn't it be better if you could do more? Wouldn't it, yeah, that, those, that, that thing is left undone, but wouldn't it be better if you could do it? And we look at creation, we look at who God made us to be, God says, no, it wouldn't be better. I made you as an intentionally limited being did not make you to be an unlimited productivity machine. I didn't make you to be all things to all people. I've made you, yes, work hard. It's just as bad to underfunction as it is to overfunction. But I made you to rest. I made you to embrace your limits. And there's wisdom in it. And we live in a world where we need this more now more than ever because of the mental and emotional load that we, we have in addition to just regular work. I mean, we, we have loads that, because of technology, like James talked about previously, there, there's inputs that we receive that are, that are new inputs that we're trying to navigate how to do that well. We receive a constant flow of information about the world, so we have more information than we've ever had, which creates something called information fatigue. It's more stress on your brain to have more information. It's a good thing, but it's also more work for your brain. You have, we are more aware of things happening in the world globally. It used to be that you only really knew what was going on in your community. So you're more aware of tragedy than you've ever been, than people have ever been before. And so you experience compassion fatigue. It's a good thing to have compassion for the world. It's a good thing to know what's going on, but it's more work for your brain. We need to embrace rest. We have, if you're on social media, a constant access to the highlight reel of other people's lives. Was it produced? FOMO, and increased temptation for comparison. We need to embrace rest. We need to do it as a rhythm, not as a binge that we do when we can't go any further. We're wise to embrace who God's made us to be. And so we Sabbath as wisdom, and it helps us focus. It helps us, it helps us uh, embrace the things that Jesus values and remove the things that are superfluous to that. We also sat with a celebratory resistance. 
And this is how we'll close. Because if Exodus 20 grounds our practice of Sabbath in the created order, what God models for us in his act of creation, Deuteronomy 5.15 anchors us in Sabbathing to remember what story we're a part of in the first place. Because in Deuteronomy 5.15, Sabbath, and it says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And here, the nuance is, not to ground your Sabbath in the created order and how God made the universe to work. Instead, it's Sabbath so that you remember who you are. Remember who God is for you, who you are in him, and what he's doing in the world. Sabbath rhythms ground us in the true story of God and ourselves and what God is up to in the first place. Because God's people at this point in history, when Deuteronomy was written, or to remember the story of God's deliverance on their behalf, that they were delivered out of slavery in Egypt, and they are now on the way into the promised land. And this command is given to them before they've even entered the promised land. And so there's an already, but not yet, to the, to the deliverance that they've received. They're out of slavery in Egypt, following, uh, following God in the wilderness on the way to the promised land, the ultimate rest that they're going to, that they're going to get to enter into. But they're to rest now in the... In, in the the point at which they receive this command in order to ground them in the story of God's deliverance, to ground them in who they really are in the first place. They're the beloved people of God, rescued out of slavery and on the way to be brought to the promise. And the New Testament tells us that what God has done for us in Jesus is the true and ultimate exodus. What God has done for us in Jesus is the true and ultimate deliverance out of slavery and into the rest of a promised land, a new creation to come. That Jesus has done for us what we couldn't have done for ourselves, just like God did for Israel what they couldn't have done for themselves by being released out of bondage, crossing the Red Sea in a miraculous deliverance. And God has done that and better for us in Jesus. And we're to remember that truth by resting. And the way that rest reminds us of it is, first of all, it reminds us that we've been delivered from Egypt. That because of the enslaving power of sin, we don't live in a world that functions the way that God designed it to function. Egypt has its own objects of worship, and formed by those objects of worship, Egypt had a narrative, a story for Israel. And that story was, you are slaves, build more bricks. You're not beloved, you have something to prove. And you're not your own. You have something to prove. And your worth is what you do. And Egypt has a narrative for God's people that said, you're slave and build more bricks. Your value is what you produce. And we have our own version of that story, don't, do we not? Uh, there's a, a columnist for The Atlantic, guy named Derek Thompson. And a few years ago, he wrote a, a piece called Workism is Making Adults Miserable. And in it, he defines this object of worship in our time and our place where we are what we do. You are what you do in your work. Here's what he says. He says, the decline of traditional faith in America has coincided with an explosion of new atheism. Some people worship beauty, some worship political identities, other worship their children. But everybody worships something. And workism is amongst the most potent of the new religions competing for congregants. What is workism? 
it is the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but also the centerpiece of one's identity and life's purpose. And the belief that any policy to promote human welfare must always encourage more work. And here's what he says is wrong with that. The thing is, work is tangible. And success is often falsified. To make either the centerpiece of one's life is to place one's esteem in the mercurial hands of the market. Great writing. He says, to be a workist, to be someone who finds your sense of identity and personal validation in work, to be a workist is to worship a God with firing power. What he says is, there's this trend, and it's not a new trend. It goes, it goes back to Egypt. It goes back to the fall. It's a trend of finding ourselves in what we do, finding ourselves in what we can produce. I will be good enough if I prove I'm good enough by what I do. And when you do that, you're worshiping a God with firing power. Eventually, you're either going to deceive yourself into thinking you're flipping awesome, and everyone should pay attention to you. Everyone owes you the raise. Everyone owes you more opportunity, and your heart's going to get hard with pride. Or you're going to hit the wall of firing power of, of your of your object of your worship, and it's going to crush you. It's not meant to carry the weight of your soul. And maybe it's not workism for you. Maybe it's some other thing. Maybe it's not the specific idol of worship, but Egypt has a counter-narrative that is different than the true narrative of who we are in God. And resting, removing ourselves from needing to do in order to prove ourselves, it's a resistance to that story. It's remembering that we've been delivered from Egypt. Sabbath is an intentional resistance to the stories of Egypt, human life apart from God, and it's a celebration of the true life we have in him. It's building patterns in our lives that say, I am not Egypt, I'm not who Egypt says I am, and I'm not going to live the way Egypt tells me to live. I'm who God says I am, and I'm going to live the way that he says I am. I'm going to live in light of his story thing is, this is not just about us. God's going to talk all, all week about God's vision for his church and what it means to be a part of a, of a community with simple focus on who he invites us to be. These rhythms of Sabbath aren't just about us feeling better, although, of course, God deeply cares about that. But it's also about our shared mission as the people of God to proclaim a better story than the world, to proclaim a truer, freer story than the world. I love the words of... Um, thinker named G.K. Chesterton from like 100 years ago. He said this, he said, therefore it's the paradox of history that each generation is converted by the saints who most contradict it. And if we live in a busy age, if we live in an age of workism, one of the mission of God's people, not just to life hack our lives into, into less stress, although there's tremendous value in that as wisdom as we covered, but our stepping into the mission that God's given us to tell a better story is to live with rhythms that more reflect who we are in God. We say, I'm not who Egypt says I am. I'm who God says I am. I don't live according to Egypt's story. I live according to God's story. It's about declaring a better story to the world around us. And we do so in part because we remember we're delivered to Egypt, but also to remember that we're delivered to a God who loves us. Because the story doesn't just end with deliverance from Egypt. It also goes towards entrance into the land. The New Testament tells us that the land that was the object of God's rest for Israel is just an anticipation of the true rest that we receive in, in Jesus. True access to the Father, 
full restored relationship with God, a new identity in him, not relating to ourselves on the basis of performance, but on the basis of his grace, that Jesus is our true and better rest, which is why Jesus could say something like, come to me, all you who are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because Jesus is our rest. When we rest intentionally, not just stumbling into a day off, but thinking about what it means to be God's child, what it means to have a new identity in him, and what it means that Jesus has done for us what we couldn't have done for ourselves, we enter into a better story. Where we're not just set free from something, but we're set free to someone. That Jesus is our true and better so right now we're going to close with reflecting on that truth. I'm going to guide us through this invitation and promise of Jesus that I just referenced. It's an invitation in Matthew chapter 11, verses 27 to 30, where Jesus invites us to come to him as, as our rest. So I'll invite the band up. We're going to reflect on scripture here. I'll guide us through that. Just kind of prayerfully come before this invitation of Jesus as our true and better rest. And then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we're going to worship. But right now, let's listen to the invitation of Jesus and not just see it as something written on the text of our Bibles, but see it as the very word of God for us, our creator speaking to us, our creator become one of us to rescue us and inviting us to come to him. So would you uh, listen to God's word with me and, and we'll pray. Lord, we, um, we thank you, Jesus, that we can rest in you. We can have a new way of relating to ourselves, to you, to the world around us as we find ourselves in you and these rhythms of rest that we would build into our lives ground us in that story and help us live with rested hearts. Not just taking days off or finishing our work at the end of the day. Not even having times of reflection and prayer and hearing from you in scripture. But really having a rested heart identity and validation in what we do um, or some external thing about us or about our lives life situation or circumstance but finds rest in the fact that the God of the universe loves us has done for us we couldn't have done for ourselves when Jesus you died on the cross in our place making our guilt our bondage to sin giving us your righteousness, bringing us into a relationship with our God who loves us. We see in, in your cross, Jesus, the unconditional love of the Father. And would that be the thing that grounds us? Would that give us rest to our souls? Would you teach us what it looks like to build rhythms that foster that?
Let's ask him to show if there's, if there's anywhere in our souls where we're living labored and heavy laden, where we're striving, we're living lives of anxious striving. Ask God to show you if there's anything like that that he would invite you to lay down and rest in. Just say, Lord, is there any, is there any way that I'm living labored and heavy laden?
every single one of us. And I pray for a fresh encounter with that reality. And teach us, Holy Spirit, what wise wisdoms of work and rest will look like in our season. Help us not to overly idealize them and think that any given day of rest is going to be some utopian bliss. Um, but just to be wise about the way we design our lives. We pray for that. This is a way that we practice, not unlike Sabbath in some ways, because it specifically reminds us of our true identity in Jesus. And it's this sacred symbol that is symbolic, but it's also sacred in this way that we, when we come worshipfully to the elements, the bread and the cup, there's a, a powerful experience with the presence of God and the truth of the gospel for us. And um, we take it not just as a ritual, not just as the thing that you do, because that's what you do in church. We do it declaring the truth of God's grace over us, declaring that every sin, past, present, and future has been paid in full on Jesus' cross. We do it reminding ourselves of what's true of us and declaring it over ourselves. And so right now, the elements are coming around. Um, they're still going around, so I'm going to stall some more. <laughs> um, but we do it... Uh, we do this grounding ourselves in that story. And uh, it's really where we see Jesus as our true rest. Because it's not just that God loves us. It's that God loves us and has demonstrated for us in full on the cross. And um, so the elements are going around. Does everyone have, have them? No? Yes? Maybe so. Well, we're going to do it. Um, Let's, um, let's take and remember it together. So Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take in remembrance of me. And so right now, let's take cracker bread and do so in remembrance of the broken body of Jesus on our behalf.
deep and know that he is good. I'll breathe deep and know that he is good. He's love like no other. Jesus, we do lean back into your goodness. We breathe in all of your love and your graciousness and your mercy towards us. Thank you, God, for who you are. May this be more than just words and lip service, but may we really sink into the rest of the Father. We love you, God. We worship you. Would you be with us today? In your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll bless you guys. We're going to play a little bit longer. If you need prayer, Debbie's in the back, Todd and Taylor in the front. Uh, stay safe with the hurricane hiccup. <laughs>